This is Being Modern, Being Human, a podcast about contemporary society. And this is the second episode of our mini-series with Harrison Schley, a member of the International Society of Appraisers and a specialist in fine and decorative Asian art, Andrew Dacre. In our previous conversation, we discussed the art and culture of Edo period Japan, and today we will talk about Judaica art, its ceremonial, cultural, and artistic significance. Hi, Harry. Great to see you again. Welcome. Hi, Edo. Thank you so much. I'm very grateful to be here to continue our conversation. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with Judaica. We know some examples such as menorahs, ketubas, or marriage contracts. Kiddush wine cups, Shabbat candlesticks, or some other items. But can you briefly define what Judaica art is and maybe mention some iconic, especially valuable and relevant examples of such objects in museum collections in the U.S. and around the world? This is a really important and complex question. Um, I think I want to start my answer with a quote by Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, which is, quote, we must not forget that it is not a thing that lends significance to a moment. It is the moment that lends significance to things. And I think this idea of time and the Jewish annual cycle and the Jewish life cycle are really key characteristics that permeate a lot of Jewish art. In general, and Jewish art can fall into some broad general categories. The first I'll mention are objects that were made specifically for Jewish ritual use. This would include a lot of well-known categories such as Torah scrolls and silverwork and textiles used to decorate Torah scrolls, menorahs, mezuzah cases, etc. There's also Jewish art that is paintings and sculpture that are made with expressively Jewish motifs and themes, but don't have a ritual use. Another category are documents and books, such as ketubas and sidurim, that is say marriage contracts and prayer books, as well as famous letters by famous Jewish individuals and rabbis. Under this category, I would also include historical documents from communities around the world and from major events such as the Holocaust. There are also some more ambiguous categories. One is objects that were not initially made for Jewish ritual use, but are used in a Jewish context. The classic example of this is many silver kiddush cups and candlesticks which were made for a non, for a general non-Jewish market, but were purchased by Jewish in individuals and used for rituals such as Shabbat candles or for Shabbat Kiddush. So by virtue of being used in this Jewish ritual context, as the Heschel quote implies, the objects take on this additional layer of meaning and become Judaica, even if they were not made for that purpose. There are some other categories that can get even more complicated, but generally, if you're looking up Judaica and Jewish art, they will probably fall into one of these genres that I just outlined. In terms of well-known and famous Jewish art and artists, there are a number of well-known Jewish artists, probably the best known 
is Mark Chagall, who often made works with distinctly Jewish themes and motifs. A lot of talk in Jewish art circles right now is looking forward to the sale of the Codex Sassoon at Sotheby's on May 17th. This work is the oldest, most complete manuscript of the Hebrew Bible. It was made around the year 900, so it's about 1,100 years old. It was made in the land of Israel, or perhaps just to north in the area that is now Syria. And as a historical record, this is really just a nearly unparalleled document of Jewish history. And it's exciting to see what will happen at the auction. That's amazing. And uh, do you know which museums hold extensive collections of Jewish art from different periods of time in the U.S. and Europe, apart from Jewish museums? Apart from Jewish museums. Okay, so I was obviously the first museums I was going to suggest, if you're in the U.S. or Europe, two places to go to are the Jewish Museum in New York and the Jewish Museum of Prague in, in, in Prague. Aside from expressly Jewish museums, most major museums will have some collections of Judaica, though they will not typically have them on permanent display. Going back to the examples of in New York, the Met has an extent, has extensive objects that would fall under the category of Judaica. The New York Public Library's collections also have fairly extensive collections of, of important Jewish books. I believe the British Museum has a good collection, though I'd have to look into that more in, de in more detail. These can be found really in most major museums. Thank you. And which time periods are mostly found in museums and in the art market? Jewish history has been turbulent, and apart from the Holocaust, which historical events have had the greatest impact on the preservation of Judaica art. So I should note that today, the day that we're recording this is actually Yom Hazim in Israel, and that Yom HaShoah, the day that, in, that many Jewish communities commemorate and mourn the Holocaust, was just last week. And the history of Judaica is one that is closely tied to history of the persecution of Jewish communities. Since you mentioned the Holocaust, especially I'll, I'll, mention, I'll say that during the 1930s, the Nazis and their collaborators stole countless possessions from Jewish families across Europe. For centuries before that, in Europe, regular persecution and expulsions from countries throughout, throughout Europe meant that ritual and personal objects were constantly being stolen and lost. If you want to mention another major event, specifically the Vinitsky Rebellion, I think it was in 1666, was a, a pretty major and turbulent event. There were pogroms, which is a, a, a kind of sort of, of riot specifically targeting Jewish communities and businesses. And that sort of rolled around throughout what was then Russia, what is now Eastern Europe throughout the latter half of the 19th century. And this constant disruption and a lack of basic security meant that ritual and per personal objects were really constantly being stolen or lost. And in Europe, additionally, for many centuries, Jews were prohibited from working as silversmiths 
which made it even more difficult for them to either make or obtain prized ritual objects. So these were a list, a number of challenges to the production of Jewish art in Europe, specifically over the last half millennium. There's a bit of a longer history of Jewish art surviving from North Africa and in the Middle East, where persecution was not quite as intense. But as a result of all of these factors, true antique Judaica can actually be exceedingly rare. And to the extent that it exists, typically only dates back a few centuries. That's one of the reasons why this Turek Sassoon from 1100 years ago is quite such a remarkable document. That all that being said, there is a thriving market for Judaica that was made after World War II and up to the present day. So there is this thriving production market, though it's typically not exceptionally old. And now I would like you to talk about some stylistic and aesthetic features of Judaica art. You mentioned that not many antique items have survived. What do we know about the evolution of aesthetics and style of Judaica art over time? And what is the core canon that has remained unchanged? Jewish art is typically always influenced by the environments of the country and community where it was made. Except for modern Israel, Jewish communities have always been in the minority wherever they lived. So there was always this influence on Jewish art and styles that came from the broader community. So Jewish art from North Africa looks North African. Jewish art from Italy looks Italian. Jewish art from Eastern Europe looks Eastern European. And Jewish art and designs are always shifting with the time and the place. As for what remains constant, I was reading a catalog of mezuzahs, actually, and there was this great quote by Rabbi Abraham Levine, which to summarize his quote basically said that the styles and format of Jewish art has changed in every generation, but it is the essence of the tradition and our connection to Jewish history and practice that remains the constant source, which remains consistent and is the constant source for new Jewish art. Yeah, I understand. Can you give some examples of how Jewish art incorporated the features of, say, Italian art or German art, Middle Eastern art? <laughs> I guess I'll start in the order that, that I gave them. So if you think about Northern African styles, you, or Middle Eastern styles, a common feature, it would be like these, often what are described as arabesque, sort of swirling lines. It's a very common motif throughout a lot of that region. And you'll find that also on, on Jewish art. And conversely, if you think of a, I was looking at a Seder plate, a plate that was used, that is, it was made specifically for use during the Passover Seder. And it was made in, I think, early 19th century Germany. And the people are all the sort of the format of this, of the plate is sort of basically identical to another, a porcelain plate that was made in Germany just for a non-Jewish use with the people's, the figures 
on the plate, dressed in German garb of the time. And the only real significant difference in the style was that there would be, it was Hebrew writing uh, sort of in places around this plate. In terms of Italian style, sort of more Baroque-esque, like floral patterns are a kind of thing that you might see popping up on Judaica. A lot of Jewish books that were published in Italy throughout the last several hundred years were often produced in conjunction or by non-Jewish printing presses, for example. So the sort of cartouche on the front of the page might be the same cartouche literally on a, not on the front, at the front of the book might be the same cartouche that's used for a non-Jewish book, sort of just with a couple little things here and there changed to be put onto the Jewish manuscript, the Jewish publication. So those are some examples. Thank you. And now I would like to talk about how to determine the provenance of Judaica art, given the circumstances you mentioned earlier. How important is the provenance in the appraisal process? Provenance is extremely important in Jewish art. First, as I mentioned, there's not a lot of real antique Judaica, but there is this huge market for fake antiques. So one who's looking to purchase something really needs to make sure that they are buying something from a reputable seller. Even for objects that are authentic and legitimate, because so many items were stolen from Jewish families during the Holocaust in 1930s and 1940s Europe, there's this huge collection of items out there that, that are at, at some points re-enter the market and have this complicated, bloody past to them that can be uncovered with enough documentation, but can also be very difficult to determine. And for items where that history is more clear, for, for example, items that were stolen in the 1930s and went into a museum in the various German, Germanic lands and are still there, there is actually this huge push to begin returning these items to surviving family members. So it's this huge, complex process that really needs to be, especially when dealing with silver goods, really needs to be considered and investigated. That made me think of Klimt paintings that, that are now in New York. Every number of years it comes up in the news. There was actually an article specifically talking about returning Jewish silver Judaica in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago. Can you talk about some of the ways modern and contemporary artists have adapted traditional forms of Judaica art? And how does that contribute to the evolution of the art form uh, today? Jewish art and Judaica is constantly changing and adapting to new styles. I think it's really exciting when Jewish designers bring in other ideas and non-Jewish collaborators to make new styles. Uh, I'll give a personal example. My wife this past year bought a beautiful glass, brand new glass menorah that we used on Hanukkah. It was made by and for a Judaica company, but it was designed in coordination with a non-Jewish glass artist. And the item, the menorah was made using borosicate glass, uh, so that heat-resistant glass, which is not a new material, 
but it's certainly not a traditional material for Judaic. Um, it's this really uh, beautiful and, and interesting innovation that demonstrates this change over time. That's a great example. As you said, art is an ever-evolving form, and as new technologies and new materials appear, of course, the artists integrate them in their work. It's interesting how that works with the tradition and traditional art forms. Usually, my last question in the interview is related to the title of the podcast, Being Modern, Being Human, but you answered that question in our previous conversation. So I would like to ask a similar question, but related to Judaic art and its role in contemporary society and contemporary Jewish life. What significance does traditional Jewish art have today? I think a real essence for Jewish art in Judaica and in the contemporary in contemporary days, and I think this is really true for all Jewish artists and for those who regularly use Judaica, which includes myself, is that these pieces are used in these moments that give us this constant connection to our culture and to our history. And it's the cycle of these meaningful events, Shabbat dinner, bar and bat mitzvahs, holidays, brises, a brises of circumcision, zevet bas, which is a baby naming for a girl, all these regular cycles of life that give us the opportunity to keep making and using Judaica. And as long as we are participating in that process, the culture that is Jewish culture will continue to evolve and grow along with times and styles of the present, whenever that present happens to be. This is beautiful. And actually, that brings us to the beginning of our conversation when you gave that quote uh, and the meaning of the moment and how the act itself imbues objects around us with meanings. I think that's really important. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you for your insights. And I encourage our listeners to learn more about Judaica art and explore the topic, which is huge. I think there will be more discoveries to come. Thank you very much, Harry. Thank you so much, Ina. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy being modern, being human, I'd love it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback is so valuable to me and helps you make the show better. And if you haven't already, be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.